0: This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. What is
1: it, Robin? A vision from Hearn? No. No vision from the Lord of the Trees, not this time, Marin. A knights pushing three others from a clifftop there was an emblem a a golden sun on on a black background I don't know of any order like that no, me neither
2: come on it's time to get up, we've slept too long
1: You're listening to Audio Dramatics on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB in London. I'm Alex Fitch, and this is Resonance's bi monthly show looking at audio dramas that have been broadcast on the radio or released on CD and MP3 download. The fading strains of The Hooded Man by Clanad should alert you to the fact that the subject of one of tonight's interviews. Is the classic TV show Robin of Sherwood, now reimagined as a series of audio dramas by Spiteful Puppet Productions? And in that clip you've just heard, Judy Trott reprises her role of Maid Marion from the TV series alongside Jason Connery as Robin. Also in tonight's show, I'm looking at a new series of audio dramas based on the classic fighting fantasy interactive storybooks that were available in the 1980s and have been revived in various formats since. But to start this evening's show, I'm talking to Barnaby Eaton-Jones, the producer of the new audio version of Robin of Sherwood. This continuation of the classic TV series was brought back in 2016, with almost the entirety of the original cast of the TV series reprising their roles for audio including not only Connery and Trot, but also Ray Winstone, Clive Mantle, and Nicholas Grace. The first Robin of Sherwood production, released by Spiteful Puppet, was an audio adaptation of the unrealized final episode of the TV series, a feature-length adventure called The Knights of the Apocalypse, by original writer Richard Carpenter. As well as the original returning members of the cast, Knights of the Apocalypse also features the likes of Anthony Head, Colin Baker, Philip Jackson, and Freddie Fox filling out the cast, and is well worth a listen. Producer Barnaby Eaton-Jones is now working on a further four full-cast audio adventures of Robin of Sherwood, and these will be split between the two Robins who played the part on TV, Michael Praed and Jason Connery. In the meantime, Spiteful Puppet have also released a number of short stories read by individual actors, such as Ian Ogilvie and Nicholas Grace. And Grace, as the Sheriff of Nottingham, alongside Prade as Robin, also reprised their roles in a one-off episode called Sanctuary, available as a download from Spyful Puppet. So in the interview you're about to hear, I'm talking to Barnaby about all of these versions of Robin of Sherwood and the company's hopes for the future. So you're the producer of the audio version of Robin of Sherwood, which launched a couple of years ago, with an adaptation of the previously unfilmed Richard Carpenter uh, final special episode, Night of the Apocalypse, and now you're going forward with new adventures. Can you talk a little bit about how Night of the Apocalypse first came about?
0: I can, yes. Um, it's It was a very weird <laughs> getting together. I, I sort of run these uh, celebration events for Robin Sherwood where all the cast meet uh-huh. the fans and stuff, a bit like the conventions that happen for Doctor Who and Blake Seven and things like that. Um, and I just happened to be aware of somebody who was trying to get the audio rights for Robin Sherwood and um, he asked if... I could ask if the cast were interested, which they were. Uh, it was all a very long, convoluted process. But the weirdest thing was a fan who was just there at the convention said that they had a script they'd like to get back to Richard Carpenter's estate because at that point he'd passed away. And he'd, yeah. he'd auctioned it off in about, the, I don't know, the 1990s or something. And it was this Night of the Apocalypse script that he'd written specifically to sort of do it in 1989 just to... As a big sort of finale thing after, you know, the series had ended. Mm. Um, And so I gave it obviously back to the estate, but I also said, would you mind awfully if we could do an audio version of it? Um, And they said yes. And Mm. uh, ITV finally said yes. And and all the cast said yes. (laughs) We were rather lucky, really.
1: (laughs) And I guess um, a lot of that trust... um, was based on you running these events, having got to know people from the Carpenter Estate and having got to know members of the staff, uh, the cast that way.
0: Yes, it was nice actually because um, this script was, because there were two versions of uh, of uh, Robin Hood, two actors, a bit like Dog 2, mm-hmm. where, where another actor came into play, uh, Robin, and, but this was um, sort of quite a big deal at the time because robin of who was played by michael Praed in the original series was actually killed off which is a bit of a, a spoiler but i'm sure that you know after yeah. after 40 years <laughs> that's fine um um and so jason connery son of sean was uh brought in to play robin and this script was specifically written for him so um for his incarnations sort or of things so without Without his yes from, uh, we wouldn't have been able to do it because it was um, it was literally sort of revolved around his character. Um, so yes, yeah, so he said yes straight away, which was good because obviously the roll-on effect happened and everybody else was happy to come back. But um, Richard Carpenter's daughter Harriet, who is the most lovely person, she's just very, very keen for her dad's legacy to be um just sort of respected and, and and sort of um kept alive as it were so um so that's why we were able to do it it was rather it was a rather lovely thing to be able to produce something that was by the original writer and creator of the series and so it was sort of a bit bit of a sort of greatest hits package because yeah. it, was, it was lovely mm.
1: well and i guess you know if you look at the legacy of robin of sherwood mem- many other members of the cast uh, Clive Mantle, um, Ray Winstone have gone on to be uh, incredibly famous and popular in other things. Did you consider yourself lucky to get them back as well to play their iconic parts, or did you already have an inkling that once you had Jason, the rest of the cast would happily join
0: him? Well, it was a, it was a strange. Uh, the great thing about Robin Sherwood is that um, they clearly all in bonded incredibly well on the series, and they stayed friends uh, since then, and they all sort of still meet up and. and each other which is really nice so so that link was great because obviously uh, you know once Jason's on board then then hopefully the others will be as well Clive um was uh had to be recorded separately because he was so busy um but Ray Winston and I was slightly concerned that we might not get but he again loved his time on the series loves the, everybody involved and so we were rather lucky to sort of have him swing in for a morning and do his Will his Scarlet part and uh, mm. and yeah I think we've thought ourselves very fortunate that um, everybody, I mean it doesn't always happen with t- television series but we have a, a large cast of sort of, I mean there's about 12 main leads and every one of them you know all stayed friends and stayed in touch which was a uh, which is great because obviously it was a lot easier that um, nobody nobody <laughs> had to be done in separate videos because they didn't like each other so but it was uh, it was really nice
1: indeed um I mean, obviously, you know, if you went to one of your Rob Show at events and asked the audience, would you like to hear new episodes? I dare say you'd get a unanimous uh, reaction. But in terms of being able to fund the audio adventures, were you at all worried that uh, in doing a Kickstarter, you wouldn't be able to raise the revenue? Or again, did you feel because, you know, there was this kind of warmth towards the series that the audience was out there and it was just a matter of finding them?
0: Yeah, I think... I'd not done one before, but the original production company that uh, that started started it with me. Um, sadly, left halfway through production. But they, um, I think they had done a couple, and they were uh, quietly confident. But I think mm-hmm. it's one of those things where you don't know how large the fan base is until you sort of reach out to them. And I. And, and luckily and amazingly, um, we reached the target in an incredible sort of twenty four hours and then wow. from then on anything else that was donated was um, was just extra on top of that. We obviously, as you know probably with Kickstarter, um, you get rewards so there was certain perks that you could um you could pay for which was Extra things you know, like sound scripts and posters and stuff, so it was a it was a lovely it was a lovely way of the fans to be involved in the production itself so so they really could say if this was the one and only, and um, they could say, yes, they helped, you know produce it in a sense because uh, it wouldn't have been done without them and the great thing as well being as it was for charity is that um once it was all done and dusted, we had something it was something like nine thousand each for the for the two charities involved which was yeah. an astonishing amount so um um so again you know you suddenly realize that there is a an audience out there for um for more of the show and i think even, even the main bbc news picked that which was rather ironic being as it was an itv show so um <laughs> it was quite quite fun so uh,
1: nice there's um a story that's told about quentin tarantino which is probably apocryphal but when he was trying to get uh funding for reservoir dogs people said to him well you've never made a film before and he said yes but i've written scripts which seem to be popular and i can see in my head how it should look so if i find a good editor and a good cinematographer and a good sound man to work with then we can probably make a movie you know in terms of your experience coming to making audio um as kind of a new person working with the medium did you feel something similar you know the the company that you ended up making um Robin Ashford with spiteful puppet had previously made these excellent robin hood uh, revisionist stories called hood with lee ingleby so i guess you know bringing your enthusiasm to the project was enough knowing that you could surround yourself with creative people who could get it made
0: Oh, the great thing was about pup Puppet was that, um, like you say, they had they were award-winning and they had done their sort of own version of Robin Hood. And oddly, the uh, chap that ran it at the time, Ian Meadows, he um, contacted me uh, uh, quite a while beforehand just to say hello. And I'm an you know an audio producer and Robin Sherwood fan, and I see you're doing these conventions, and we sort of struck up a little conversation. So when the original production company left, it was lovely to be able to just sort of turn to him straight away and say look, you know, I need somebody to come on board and sort of oversee this because uh, otherwise I'm working on my own uh, doing it. And um, and I think that we're it's a great story about Quentin Tarantino because the the most annoying thing is for people to say, well, look, I've done it before and you haven't. So you're not going to be very good at it, <laughs> and you sort of think, well, there is a point where everybody hasn't done it before, and they have to do it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And So you either, you know, you become good at it, or you or you don't. And um, and I, fortunately, having worked in sort of theatre most of my life, it was quite nice to to have that intimacy of an audio studio and be able to sort of some bring in. Uh, I sort of produced my own project, so it's, it was nice to have a, a team around. I don't really like working on my own solely. I, I much prefer having sort of a team atmosphere, and, and of course, Robin Sherwood was was a very much a team series, so um, so it was nice to sort of recreate that and uh, get that back again. So, um, yeah, the no, for people were absolutely brilliant. They came in and sort of did all the legwork at the end just <laughs> to make sure that it kept running, and um, and that uh, it turned out rather well, which was good.
1: Mm. So, Knights of the Apocalypse was envisioned as a sort of one-off TV movie special that would be a sort of a thank you to the fans in the late 80s, and so has all sorts of fantastical elements, these uh, knights who seem to have some kind of demonic leader, the original cast... Not necessarily an ending to the story, but a way of feeling like if we are going to have a final episode, this has got everything but the kitchen sink in it. Did that make it a kind of a joyous project to work on, or a challenge to adapt that to audio at times?
0: I think it was rather nice. In the sense, that apparently the project itself was like a handshake away from being made, and mm. um, just of as bad, luck that it wasn't actually done. Um, and to adapt it, for, it's quite you know, it's a very visual series, and to adapt it for audio was uh, a challenge, but it, because it's uh, so, I suppose, ingrained in people's uh, brains, uh, the imagery and everything. When you, when they're listening to something, they can sort of see the pictures playing out in their head rather well. Um, and I think um, it was one of those. It, it took a couple of passes on the script just to, you know, to make sure that we had got it exactly right. Um, and uh, and I think it was we added just a couple of little references, so that uh, just because because. Series three ended on a very sort of bleak note, and so we, you know, had a sort of um, Maid Marian had gone off to be a nun in a nunnery, and, <laughs> and so we, you know, obviously she was back for the night of the apocalypse. So we had to sort of add in a couple of lines just to say, you know, I couldn't I couldn't stay in the nunnery, <laughs> etc. But so, so and it was and as like you say, it's a really lovely uh, sort of thank you to the fans, and a sort of if we hadn't done any more, it would have been a lovely sort of closure for the for the entire thing, and, and not not embarrassed anybody you know it was a proper sort of robin a sherwood um new adventure so um so it was and I, and I think because of the success of it and because you could see the scope in it though that's that probably why itv said well yes go, go and do some more and make them just as good and we were quite a tall order but we'll, we'll
1: give it a go <laughs> So thinking of going forward, um, you've announced a box set of new adventures, which will include stories featuring both Jason Connery and Michael Prade. Um, It's a different kind of prospect rather than kickstarting the whole amount in advance and then say, we've reached 100 percent, we're going to make it. I guess you're reliant on a certain number of sales before you know that it can go into production? Or have you already begun pre-production on these new fully dramatised episodes?
0: Yeah, these ones have been a a bit difficult in the sense that because we did a a pre-order thing, Mm. so when people pre-ordered, that was sort of our budget because we didn't have a large sort of budget to begin with. So so enough people pre-ordered for us to go through to doing it, but Mm. then... Also, during that time of trying to sort of get these forecast audios made, we did some very small, sort of one-person narrative stories, which we funded ourselves. So um, mm. just to you know make sure that fans had something that they could uh, enjoy as they were waiting for these for this box set that we were promising. And I think um, it's uh, it's a bit sort of difficult because you're trying to, I mean, like I said before, twelve main. Uh, leads are, is an expensive production, whereas Doctor Who has maybe three or four main leads mm-hmm. and then sort of a guest actor and a, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So Big Finish, you know, I suppose, doesn't have as much expenditure on a on an audio as, as we have doing one audio with, with 12 main leads and then lots of other characters as well. So, um, so it was that sort of uh, working out, well, we want to give fans something along the way, so what can we do that... Um, that can make that happen, and I, and and Michael prayed very kindly did come back mm. uh, for one um, beforehand, just a sort of three-hander that we made with him and, um, and Nicholas Grace, who, who plays the sheriff of Nottingham, mm. and uh, uh, just to, basically to you know to, I suppose to prove to fans that we can do it, <laughs> and um, and it's going to be fun, and and, and you know at some point. The forecast ones will will arrive and you know it'll be all good. But it is it is genuinely a case of it's such a large budget that we that we can only afford to do forecast ones every now and again rather than the entire time, which is a huge shame. But um, but I you, you cut your cloth as the old cliche goes. So um, um, and that's what we have to do.
1: Mm. Well, I listened um, to that story you're talking about the three hander with uh, Mm. Robin, the sheriff, and the crazy Welsh priest, Um, and and enjoyed it very much. I I didn't actually realise until I looked at the credits that you were performing the narration. Um, I thought it was actually Dan Starkey, Um, which I I hope is a compliment. Um,
0: Well, that's lovely. Uh, He probably would have done a better job. (laughs) But, it was a very weird last-minute replacement. I would uh, tried to get one of the original cast to come uh, along and do the narration, and and just right up to the wire, nobody could do it. And so, I thought I'm going to have to step in and, and do my best here. So, uh-huh. um, but, but.
1: No, I, th- I, th- I think you got away with it. Um, but no, I, I really enjoyed the story, and and it's interesting. Obviously, you've got um, Michael and Nicholas in that, and it's you know it's nice to have uh, Robin and the Sheriff sparring with each other again. But in terms of, like you were saying, doing a smaller story that has a smaller number of the cast, was that the sort of thing you had to consider when you were commissioning the script, that this will be basically only two of the original members of the cast so that we can afford to do it? And as such, what kind of story do we need to write that will trap them, for example, on an island with a crazy world priest? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the Crazy Welsh Priest was of course played by um Andy Seacombe, who's the son of Harry Seacombe, who's oh. uh, the Welsh comedian and Guden show um actor. Um and so when he said he was gonna do a Welsh Priest, I did I don't stray too far into doing Neddy Seagun from the <laughs> Gudens if you can, but um, but he was uh, absolutely amazing. But yeah, it was a it's a strange thing with uh, because we knew we could afford to do one with a couple of cast in and I suppose there's any X amount of Plots you can have where somebody is trapped somewhere or you know there's only a, a certain amount of characters in the in the plot in the um in the story so um yes i do i uh, i tend to sort of either accept pitches from people the writers i know or i'd come up with a little pitch and say could you do something like that um and fortunately, um, the, the person that wrote this paul birch he was a a very old friend so well, he's not very old but, um, <laughs> but the, we are uh, go back a long way so um and we worked very well together. So, so he was able to do something with it that I thought was really interesting, and 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 sort of took one of the early original sort of Robin Hood ballads, of the 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 proper sort of legend, and and, mm. and and squeezed it into sort of the Robin Hood show template, and and made it sort of. We were trying to sort of go somewhere in between, so it would be you know a bit more insula, but also, uh, but still, Robin Sherwood. but uh, and that's yeah, that's a sort of challenge that is quite nice to do on audio because because you can you can do that quite easily. So um, um, and it, r- rather than I suppose on television where it, it might become a bit uh, not so interesting because you're sort of stuck in one set. Um, mm. It's uh, it's uh, no, it's good. I think it, it worked well, and, and these are the sort of experiments we had to try and do to see what. What, what works, or how we could continue on with Robin the show without doing, you know, all of them forecasts, which would, you know, which probably would be one a year rather than sort of one every couple of months. So mm. that's what that's what we're trying to do.
1: Yeah. Well, and and like you said, um, it refers back to one of the original ballads um, and does something new. So is that kind of the juggling act that you're always? performing when you commission new scripts doing something that's faithful to the spirit of the tv show doing something that maybe includes a bit of robin um hood law uh something that expands the remit of the show and something i guess that keeps the carpenter estate uh, happy
0: <laughs> yeah no, that's true that they have to the scripts have to go through the carpenter of sound they also have to go through i t v as well before they're um ticked off um, um and so the weirdest thing is that because i suppose you're you're casing for an audience of, of fans in the sense that you know we are obviously trying to make them so that anybody could pick them up and it wouldn't it wouldn't be you know too confusing for them that it'd just be it's Robin Hood and you know you sort of get the idea of of that type of thing um but also everybody's grown up and so and Game of Thrones is the big popular thing and, and i'm i 'm sure if Robin the show was on today, it would be Game of Thrones esque and it would you know and so you have to try and uh, please the people who just want the nostalgic um feelings of the series or um, which was essentially sort of a, a tea time uh, show so its uh, it deals with very very big serious themes, but it deals with them in a very clever way and and uh, and I think you have to not go. Too adult with it, because there is a temptation because obviously all the cast have grown up as well, so they're all yeah, much more mature and, and thinking along you know these these bigger sort of lines that you 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 don't want to lose the essence of of Robin sherwood by by becoming Game of Thrones, so you have that sort of balance between them between the two and and I think you know uh, as proved by big finish with Doctor Who, if you If you do what the series did, um, then that's what the fans like, and that's what the fans would like to hear. So, and that's sort of what we're trying to do a little bit. So, uh, but it is that, yeah, it's a balancing act of trying to make it interesting for the cast, and also, and not not stray too far away from that sort of Richard Carpenter ethos, because he was an an amazing writer. So, um, you you sort of don't you don't want to sort of buck that trend
1: of not being amazing if if you can help it. And so, with the new box set um, that you're in pre-production on, production on, <laughs> uh, what might we expect from that? That you're prepared to say at this early date?
0: Well, you mentioned the um, well, I mentioned the the, the Hooded Man um, events, these celebrations of Thomas mm. Sherwood, and we just had one a couple of months ago. And the nicest thing was to be to be able to say to the fans, oh, "Look, we need this uh, this big crowd scene in one of the." Hmm. One of the episodes called "The Trial of John Little," and um, mm-hmm. and so they are now about sort of 300 people part of this production where we recorded them sort of booing and <laughs> and hissing and and rumbling and grumbling, uh, which is rather nice uh, to do. Um, but yes, we've had there's always there's always issues with script where, where people don't like them or actors don't like them, and we have to juggle and change and stuff. So at the moment, um, we are locked down on on the trial of john little which is one of the michael Praed ones uh, mm. which is obviously about little john being put on trial um and then there's one called the king of sherwood which uh, which is another michael Prade one and that's um and that's about um sort of uh, a, a robin of sherwood figure that comes in and and sort of tries to take over uh, Sherwood, as it were, um, and then Mr. Jason Connery has already recorded his, um, and, that, and we decided that it would be a lovely idea to, to do the first two episodes of what may have been series four if mm-hmm. uh, the series itself hadn't been cancelled at the end of series three, so this directly, uh, whereas The Knights of the Apocalypse, was sort of, you know, maybe mid-season end of series, if, uh, series four had happened, these, mm. these two episodes... Are specifically um, straight after the end of series, after television series. So, uh, and and I suppose the good thing with with um, with uh, Jason Connery's Robin is that there is there is an open end. So there's, mm-hmm. the, uh, there's no, you know, uh, there's tension and there's um, fear for the characters there because you don't know what's going to happen to them. Whereas with uh, with Michael Prades we have got that sort of. Uh, bubble where we have to stay within because uh, poor poor Michael's Robin does does die right at the end of the <laughs> series. So um, um, so that's a you know it's a juggling I think that's that's a nice thing because you can you can be more classic with Michael Parade's Robin and then you can be a slightly more experimental with Jason Connery's Robin because because his doesn't have an ending. So um you you know you can follow it through a bit more. But um um so yes, yeah, so I'm hoping that it'll be a big, bold, adventurous box set of you know that will interest the fans, and it's got that juxtaposition between you know what would have been series four and then um, more episodes of of Michael Fraser Robin from series one and two. So um, mm. we'll, we'll just see what they say. I suppose they're they lovely and vocal, so it's nice. To, it's always nice to hear sort of feedback from fans and see you know what they liked and what they didn't like. Mm.
1: And what sort of timescale are you hoping for to see this released?
0: Well, um, if any any fans are listening to this, uh, they'll be laughing their heads off right now because <sighs> we did we we have already, I think, uh, gone through two deadlines um, simply because of cast availability mm. and and sort of tweaking scripts here and there. So we are um, it's definitely being released this year, um, okay. and it, all the sort of things are in place, and we're going into the studio should be later this month, and then. Post production is in November, and then so they'll be out for Christmas, basically. So it'll be a nice, will uh, be a nice Christmas present, and people can finally say, yay we've we've got the box out that we've been waiting for for quite
1: a while." <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and even though you haven't finished this box set yet, uh, all things being equal, uh, would you like to continue doing this for the foreseeable future?
0: It's a nice sort of. Um, it's a nice thing to. To do, to find that balance, to find uh, you know some one-person narrative audio, some full cast, some mm. limited cast audios. And I think, um, I mean, our license, we've offered us the license again, so we are just in the process of working out, you know, what would our um, sort of schedule be and what would we do in it. And I think, um, uh, I think that sort of is the way to go to have a mix of audios. Um, uh, I think, hopefully, you know, from feedback, it seems to be working in the sense that you know nobody nobody is not is angry about you know the fact that you know, one person's reading one story and then it's a forecast later on so um yeah I, I think yeah if we if we carry on which uh which it looks like we are um we'll just it'll be a, a mix and and we'll do our best to try and properly bring back some characters from the original series well, because there are a few people i'd like to work with who played the most amazing characters mm-hmm. in the original series who you know who are quite right for a revival so uh mm. so we'll probably try and do that now we've established ourselves a bit
1: so is is it too much to hope for a cameo by richard o'brien at some point
0: uh, i did <laughs> i did gently poke richard o'brien which is you know quite a feat because he lives in new zealand now but um, <laughs> um uh and he i think he was he was vaguely interested but okay. it's just the case of you know, it would do, he'd have to record in New Zealand, and, and and we'd have to agree. And so there are here's a possibility. And and um, Rula Landkilde uh, uh, did an amazing um, turn as uh, as a very sort of evil nun in uh, in an episode called The Swords of Wayland. And so she's very interested in coming back. And <laughs> and it's just finding you know the right script for these people and making sure that. If we do bring them back, there is a reason to bring them back, and that, um, you know, uh, or we just bring back somebody that nobody remembers at all and uh, <laughs> just confuse fans. Uh, we'll just we'll see what surprises are in store, I think. Okay,
1: well, and the team of writers, um, you've got a great, you know, having listened to the uh single reader ones that you've done. Um, but have you approached uh Anthony Horowitz to see if he might have an itch that he wanted to scratch with Robin Sherwood?
0: <laughs> Well, he is, I mean, and as he will say himself, it was the sort of series that uh, that gave him his big break. And mm. also, he was the protege of uh, Richard Carpenter. He really looked up to Richard Carpenter, who wrote and created the, the main series. And he very kindly said a couple of things for us already in the sense of, providing uh, sort of a a piece for the Knights of the Apocalypse CD insert and all that Mm. sort of stuff. And uh, he, I think, if he wasn't so busy, he would (laughs) probably be very interested. But I do keep poking him every now and again saying, look, it's only only 45 minutes. You know, you can knock that off in an afternoon. It'll be be fine. (laughs) So... um, and there's other, you know, and there are other people in the genre that I, I poke every now and again. But the only the only trouble is that it, you know, we can't afford the fees that sure. that the BBC can afford and stuff like that. So it would people who have a genuine love for the series um, are more likely to write for it. And um, and I, so I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that that there'll be a couple of people like Anthony Horowitz that will come in and, and do stuff because it would be it would be lovely because he he you know he. Uh, he is a big, a very big name, and, and, and he's a very a huge fan of the late Richard Carpenter. So um, uh, we'll we'll just keep working. on A couple of you know Chinese Burns and stuff. One of them, you know, hopefully so- will hopefully will decide to do it at some point. That'd be rather lovely. Mm.
1: Cool. Thank you very much. That's all right. Various audio episodes of Robin of Sherwood are available now as CDs and downloads from Spiteful Puppet. These include readings of short stories by the likes of Nicholas Grace and Ian Ogilvie, the partially dramatized episode Sanctuary, the full cast feature-length episode, The Knights of the Apocalypse, featuring Jason Connery, Ray Winstone, Clive Mantle, and others, in an adaptation of the episode which was intended as a final feature-length story to conclude the original TV run, and the forthcoming four-episode box set, featuring both Jason Connery and Michael Prade, which is available as a pre-order. All of these, as well as various other audio productions based on the likes of The Importance of Being Earnest and Doctor Who Pastiche Single White Who Fan are available from spitefulpuppet.com. And to give you one last adventure with Robin, here's an extract from the enhanced reading of Sanctuary with narration by Barnaby Eaton-Jones, a one-off episode that also includes Michael Prade and Nicholas Grace, reprising their roles as Robin Hood and the Sheriff of
0: Nottingham. Do you like what you do? And what's that? Snapped Robin. He was getting fatigued and the rope appeared to be resolute. Breaking the law? Is it thrilling? Does it enchant your blood and make your heart race? Is that why you do it? I uphold the law. The only laws broken are those that shouldn't have been written in the first place. Ah, so it's not for pleasure... It's because a coxcomb like you thinks he has the right to administer justice. Someone must, when you abandon it so freely. You don't! You have absolutely no idea what it means to rule. You skulk about in a forest that does not belong to you, order simpletons to rob and kill at your whimsy, and have the gall to think that you are a better representation of law and order than I am! You only care for the rich, for the powerful. You've forgotten the people you're supposed to protect.
1: Various episodes of Robin Sherwood flirted with the fantasy genre, including the Demonic Knights of the Apocalypse in the first episode released by Spiteful Puppet and various other fantastical elements based on medieval magic and folklore. While that series was also grounded in realism, my next guest, Richard Fox, is talking about a new audio series which fully embraces the fantasy genre Including elves, wizards, knights, and death trap dungeons. The Fighting Fantasy series of role playing game books, created by Steve Jackson and Ian Livingstone, were published in paperback in the UK by Puffin between 1982 and 1995. These included such much loved titles as The Warlock of Firetop Mountain, The Citadel of Chaos, The Forest of Doom, Death Trap Dungeon, and The Island of the Lizard King. A non-interactive version of these stories are being released now as audio plays on CD, with the first release an adaptation and prequel to The Warlock of Firetop Mountain, entitled The Hero's Quest, and future episodes will be based on The Forest of Doom, The Citadel of Chaos, Death Trap Dungeon, and The Creature of Havoc. These new audio adventures are directed by Richard Fox, who also does the sound design, and is a veteran of fantasy audio plays, having worked on various Doctor Who titles released by Big Finish Productions. And the cast of these audios includes such Doctor Who luminaries as Tim Trello, who plays John Pertwee's Doctor for Big Finish Productions, and Lisa Bowerman, who plays long running companion Bernie Summerfield. Joining the cast are much loved veteran actor David Warner, comedian Charlie Higson, Rachel Atkins. Andrew Wincott, and many more. To give you a flavour of the Fighting Fancy productions, which will be followed by my interview with Richard Fox, here's an extract from the forthcoming box set
0: Spirits of Earth, let rock rise to the surface, boulder beast awaken and walk! <laughs> But it is a poor demonstration of your power. You cannot even control your monster. Bolder beast, cease! Only a truly gifted spellcaster can combine their forces. Our five
2: contenders have pulled lots to determine their order. So let us welcome the first of them, a barbarian from the north. With
0: his powerful build and huge battle axe, there are few who could stand against him. Fight well, brother! Our second contender,
2: Katzenzar, a ninja assassin from Zengis.
0: A man not popular on the streets of Fang, it seems. But in those black robes, he will be almost invisible in the dark tunnels ahead.
1: I'm talking to Richard Fox. The director and uh, music producer of the Fighting Fantasy Audios. I'm not entirely sure where I found this Fighting Fantasy Audio CD. Okay. You kickstarted this one as well, did you? We didn't
2: kickstart that one, no. We ah. funded that ourselves. Okay. Um, so, to, to show everyone what we wanted to do and to huh. show in Steve how we wanted to do it.
1: Okay. And then kickstarted the box set. Oh. It must have been on some genre website like Forbidden Planet or something yeah it's
2: about it's got about a little bit Um, and we do a lot of work with Big Finish as well so Ah, there there might be People talking about that on Big Finish sites. I know it's entirely possible. So it's, there's a connection there. There if you've, you go. If you've been involved with that or looked at that.
1: Yes. Well, and indeed, uh, in your cast for the first episode, you have uh, Tim Treeler Yes. Uh, in his normal Welsh accent. Yes. Um, who listeners might better know as the replacement for John Pertwee as the Third Doctor for Big Finish.
2: Yeah. That's so, right. It's an exaggerated Welsh accent actually, it's not, it's not, it's not quite that Welsh, um, Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's his natural accent, um, only exaggerated, yes, um, he came in, he's in the box set as well, um, Cassius comes back, so he's been in both Warlock and, and our new box set as well, so it's a lovely man, very good at what he does, um, I've heard a little bit of his John Pertwee and his third doctor, not a great deal, but I've heard a little bit, uh, he does a fine job of that as well. Nice. so uh, yeah he, he knows this medium very well he knows what he's doing so he's, uh, he's, he's a good man and he's a good man to have in the the, the uh,
1: stories nice um, so you mentioned the connection with Big Finish you've worked for them in the past then presumably
2: yes we've uh, this is myself and Lauren who was the producer on that she's gone mm. on to other things now though we are still married <laughs> um, um, but yes we've done mostly post-production for them okay. and uh, have been since 2004 5 something like that okay. um, 7 Keys to Doomsday first one we did hmm. and then we've done a lot of companion chronicles main range we've also done some audio, audio audiobooks recordings for them here uh with lisa Bauman, hmm. uh and that sort of thing because we do audiobooks as well so our association with big finish has been a decade i think something okay.
1: like that. wow um so it's been a while and based on that association you thought you'd have a a go at producing your own audiobooks as well
2: yeah i mean i mean we it's it's kind of um a convoluted story, really, which is you know in no shape or form do we feel that we're going to challenge Big Finish for the supremacy of this market. Right, <laughs> they're fantastic at what they do, but because we record vocals, because we do post production, and because we are fans of these particular books, mm. um, myself and, and my friends, who, who, who haven't, um, in fact, David's written a couple of prose stories for Big Finish as well, mm. um, but the, their connection with Big Finish is is is, uh, is much smaller. So we thought, well, we're fans. We're going to make something that 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 would benefit us as fans that we'd want to buy as fans we've got mm. the ability to do it um, as yet we we haven't made a penny out of it it's, <laughs> got, it's all gone back into the production um, it's, it's not um, in that sense it's about doing something mainly as fans mm. but mainly that we can do this we have the ability to do it Dave's a fine writer we've got all the, the ability to the post which we've been doing for Big Finish like I said for years so it was about finding something that we wanted to do mm. and we have a shared fandom of fighting fantasy so that became the, the title that that had
1: some traction, and, and mm. we went with that. Well, it does feel like to use a horrible word, a brand uh, that is being exploited at the moment, because Titan Books are also doing uh, comics based on the Fighting Fantasy yes. titles, and now you're doing the um, these audio books. Yes. Uh, presumably, you were a fan as a kid.
2: Yes, very much so. We all, all three of us were. There. Mm. I mean, they, there's now three of us: it's just myself, David, and, and John, the, uh, the the other producer, not executive producer. Um, we. Read and played them as a kid, yes. Mm. Um, how old? The first one I got was Forest of Doom. Uh, I was on holiday in some campsite somewhere. I don't remember. I remember the book. I don't remember the holiday. Uh, and uh, I was enchanced by that the moment. I picked it out mm. just a, 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 on a little carousel, paperback carousel. And I think similar stories for David and John. And we played them, yeah, when we how old am I now? So <laughs> probably, I was probably about 10, nine or 10, something like that when it came out. Mm and uh, yeah started collecting them then grew up and did other things and then sort of came back to it again as an adult and thought actually these were very good and then started playing them again and then ended up doing this project so Mm. yeah loved them as a kid absolutely loved them
1: and how hard was it to get the rights from uh, Ian Livingston at all?
2: Uh, well, there's, you go through Jonathan Green first. He's, uh, I think they're, they're very receptive to people getting rights to mm. do this as long as they feel it's, a, it's a worthwhile and, and um, artistically... Um, well, it has the merit of artistic ability to it. Um, so it's OK. You, you, speak, you speak to Jonathan Green, first of all, and then you, you speak to the people who, who deal with the rights and solicitors and things. But everyone was very, very helpful, very amenable. We did a demo um, just to prove the kind of thing we were going to do, which will be on... We decided that we're going to finally do something with it, and we're going to put it as an extra on the box set mm. So for that release. And they liked it, uh, and then from then we licensed books at a time. So we licensed Warlock, did Warlock, and then we've licensed the four we're doing in the box set, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do more in the future.
1: Mm. And so, obviously, uh, The Warlock of Firetop Mountain was the inaugural book of the original series. Yeah. Did you feel because of that you should start at the beginning, you know, the well-known name that is associated with the range? Yeah, it's partly that.
2: It's it's very definitely that, number one in, uh, in the releases. But also, I think by a narrow margin, the most famous mm. release. Um, and also written by both Ian and Steve, rather than saying, well, we want to do one of Steve's or one of Ian's. We could have yeah. both writers in there. Um, and it just seemed to be the natural choice. Very famous book. Number one in the series. I don't think we ever set out to, to look at you know numbers 1 to 20 or even 1 to 59 or something on the fighting fantasy <laughs> and say, we'll do them all in order. And in fact, on the box set, we've moved Forrester Doom ahead of Citadel of Chaos um, for dramatic reasons. Um, <laughs> but Warlock definitely seemed to be the obvious choice. And uh, you know, seeing as we were trying to prove the range, um, have a very obvious, famous fighting fantasy villain in Zagor. Mm. It just
1: all made sense for us. Nice. And in terms of adapting a interactive book into a single narrative, presumably you looked at all of the story branches so that you could include bits of roads less travelled.
2: Yes. Um, adapting a game book is, I, I can say, it's slightly trickier than, than maybe, I don't know, maybe people think it is quite tricky, but it is mm. a quite tricky you know, to take something whereby the linear progression of a game book is you travel through and you meet someone and then you never see them again. Mm. So to adapt that into a dramatic piece, I think quite early on we realised that we would have to do something that was more of a prequel, mm. that, that could take you to where the adventurer picks up the book and plays it. Nice. Uh, and, and that's kind of what we've done. So everything we've done uh, in Warlock is set before the adventurer plays, can't give too much away about the box set the box set isn't huh. quite the same but it's that sort of thing and, and taking you have to take characters from the game book position them into your drama mm. without trying to be a slave to playing a game or having it like I said the progression within the game book so it's a quite a tricky thing David's done a fantastic job mm. uh, and um, yeah it's I think now we're getting more of a feel of what we should and shouldn't be doing yeah um you know with with, with warlock which i like very much it was still a sort of sense of as we entered the script of what sort of panicking so well how much should we put in you know because fans expect to see the mm. majority of the characters and, and the settings that they're used to but i don't think you should let that get in the way of the drama so hopefully 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 <laughs> we've been able to uh find the right balance between drama and the nostalgia for, for mm. the fans of the books
1: and i mean you know like i said uh I can't quite remember how I first heard about it, but presumably you got word out there that this um, was in production, that there was a CD you could buy the first adventure, and enough people bought it to justify a box set going forward.
2: Yes, uh, I mean, it's a very devoted, very, uh, very friendly fan base. I'm not mm. just saying that because I'm being recorded. <laughs> um, you know, they are they're a great bunch of people. We were very fortunate that when we released Warlock, um, there was one of the fighting. Uh, Fest conventions Ah. uh, almost on the day we released it in fact it was the day we released it we got (laughs) the CDs the day before then we went to the convention it was a a bit of a hairy time but anyway so that was there to meet fans en masse Mm. to take it to fans en masse Um, but there's other ways of course there's fan forums Jonathan Green's been very supportive with his official Fighting Fantasy site Um, our Big Finish connections enabled me to go on their forum well the Big Finish forums they don't have a forum themselves Mm. anymore and tell people what we're doing and you might know us because we've done this, What we're doing this now, we're doing Fighting Fantasy, you might want to take a listen so, you know, you use all those sort of um, the, the networking that you can mm. and uh, I mean, I think for Kickstarter, I think Fighting Fantasy fans are very dedicated The whole game book fan, fandom is very dedicated, that when something comes up on there, I think the word goes around that community as well mm. and we were absolutely blown away by the support we received for the Kickstarter we were after £1500 we got that in a day wow <laughs> and uh, and then we had stretch goals and we got there and we ended up with such a healthy budget that we've been able to license, hopefully license some, some, some uh, what we have we've done our own artwork and we've got a much better cast than we'd hoped for much bigger cast mm. than we'd hoped for much longer in terms of what and, and bigger than what we're trying to achieve and that's all because of the kindness and the generosity of the fans who you know um, the people who donated want to see this happen so um you know, it, it, it's we're very grateful to them, and it, it does show you the dedication of that 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 fan community.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask about the cast. The the first volumes, you know, uh tells the tale very effectively. It's obviously a couple of characters going on a quest through a claustrophobic locations. So you wouldn't necessarily need a large number of characters, but presumably that was also. Uh, something that you need to do, just to have a small cast in order to be able to do the first CD, just to kind of test the concept. That's right.
2: I mean, I, as you say, I think it, it works quite well. I mean, they're, they're just going into Fight Mountain and they're sort of playing the game mm. in Warlock uh, Heroes Quest. But yes, with the added budget and, and because, you know, that one did quite well, we were able to expand that concept. So we wanted to make it bigger, we wanted to bring in, you know, four stories in itself. And when you if, you, if you're going to buy an audio drama of Citadel of Chaos and the Star doesn't turn up, you're going to be disappointed. And the same goes to Creature of Havoc with Zerud and Mar. And so we want the people from those books. So you know, immediately the cast gets bigger anyway. Mm. But we wanted to um, yeah, broaden the scope in a general sense. And I think we visit a lot more of Valencia than, than we certainly do in Warlock.
1: Okay. Because you said that in um, the box set you've changed the order for uh, dramatic purposes. Yes. Presumably that's because you're introducing some aspect of an ongoing narrative between the stories
2: there, there are very much is an ongoing narrative there is a, a story out going all through all four so certainly if you picked up creature of havoc uh, well, I can't give anything away. the no, no. <laughs> but if you picked up creature of havoc and listened to it in isolation you know there's a lot of it that won't make sense part of the reason why we're doing a box set because they are and they're connected to warlock as well so there is a, a through line from warlock all the way to creature of havoc um, yes and that's right I mean at the end of warlock uh, vale our hero is is on her way to the forest anyway darkwood forest so it 's it 's a very obvious place to pick up um the box set at Forest of doom, but also narratively it, it's it 's made more sense to do that um and i 'm sure you know if and when people hear the box set they 'll understand what we 're trying to do
1: mm. Um, presumably, though, you're still set, um, telling a straightforward narrative in the box set. You haven't been tempted to do an actual interactive audio the same way that the books.
2: Well, you say that, and, and in the audio dramas, we haven't. But one of our stretch goals uh, mm.
1: was to do an interactive audio
2: drama uh, demo. Mm. Uh, and we achieved that stretch goal, and we're in the process of developing that at the, at the moment. Okay. Um, in particular, John, who's, who's more of the technical side in that area, than more the online side than, than I am has put together a demo which we're just going to hopefully trial and then we'll be able to present that on Mm. our website and things for people to see. So that is happening. Nice. Uh, And it's a very nice little, very simple platform uh, but very achievable. Um, And it will be be an audio drama where rather than make choices from paragraph to paragraph as you do in, in fighting fantasy game books, you'll be able to drive the story So you have slightly different outcomes and based on certain responses. It would be very very simple but very nice. It's Mm. a very nice concept. So, yeah, that's happening as well, aside from this. Once we get this done, we'll be able to concentrate (laughs) a bit
1: more on that and some future projects. Because it does feel, actually, a type of uh, game playing that hasn't really been explored since people are into podcasts and listening to things uh, with devices in their pockets. It wouldn't be that hard, actually, to program a simple app uh, with an interface of left, right, you know, throw a dice or whatever. I mean, in terms of interactive games, I think there was one sponsored by uh, a chewing gum company that was narrated by Benedict Cumberbatch of all people. Okay. Um, and there's also Zombie Run, where it gives you a soundtrack to rescue people while you're going out for a run. Yeah. And so it feels like it is actually also an emerging form. That's right. Yeah. And it is.
2: I mean, audio as a whole, uh, audio drama, audio books, mm. is a growing industry. And, um, you know, in some form or another, in some small way, hopefully, you know, we're riding into that particular world. Uh, and, yeah, the, the interactive thing is is uh, is an exciting thing. I see Netflix are doing sort of interactive Black Mirror endings mm. and, and these sort of things. So it's developing into other mediums as well. Uh, it feels the right time to be doing this sort of thing. And if we can have interactive game book style audio alongside audio dramas, then
1: we can develop the range as, as much as we can. Nice. With the cast, um, obviously, like I mentioned, you have people like Tim Trello and um, Toby Longworth, who are big Finnish veterans and so probably have done audios of all sorts of different genres. But uh, when you were casting the stories, did you ask um, your actors whether they'd ever played the games as kids and so had some kind of knowledge of what the, uh, the genre Was
2: yes, I've asked, and this goes for the box set, um, as well. But of both stories, both Mm. the the, um, Rachel, Toby, and Tim, and them, and all the cast in the box set, only Toby, I think, has played a box set. set. Only Toby has played uh, a game, but when he was younger, ah, talks very, very lovingly about (laughs) Citadel of Chaos. And I think that's on the extras on on the Warlock CD, actually. (laughs) Of all the others, um, I mean, most of them are uh, obviously professional actors, um. They haven't really done much fantasy, let alone uh, hmm. been into this world. Um, but, I mean, there's there's Warhammer crossovers as well. Mm. As people who the, Peter Noble's done some work for us on uh, the box set, and he's done some Warhammer. Toby, of course, um, has done a lot as of Warhammer. But in terms of the fighting fantasy, I think only Toby knew the books with any hmm. detail. Okay. Uh, Lisa Bauman, who um, has come in and played for us in the box set as well, I mean, she's a bit more in that world, having that big, big Finnish Doctor Who connection, the Benny connection that she has. So I think she knew all of them. Mm. But I think it's been new to most of the people in the cast, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but I guess in terms of fantasy, though, uh, that feels like it's a genre that's now coming back into fashion. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Game of Thrones has been on TV for a number of years. But now they've just announced uh, a TV adaptation of Narnia. They're doing a Lord of the Rings TV series. There's a discovery of witches. Yeah. So... It's interesting how kind of genres go in and out of fashion, and now it does feel like fantasy is coming back in a big way.
2: Yes, I do. And, and I think the Lord of the, Rings, Lord of the Rings films probably kick-started that, or mm. possibly the Harry Potter thing as well. Mm. Sort of kickstarted us into that direction again. and it's Because, it's, I mean, when these came out when I was a kid, it was sort of okay, you know, at school mm. to be in. And then maybe through the late 80s, 90s, it became distinctly uncool nerdy thing to do um you know in much the same way it's out because you know i'm a primarily i'm a doctor who fan it's why i worked for big finish in the first place and in the same way that sci-fi sort of comes in and out and the way doctor who became very uncool and very nerdy in the in the sort of 90s and then it's now become mainstream again and you're right these things do peaks and troughs i mean i love fighting fancy and doctor who my whole life which means probably i've gone <laughs> the crest of a wave of of being uncool and being Slightly less uncool. But, um, yeah, it is seemingly to come back. Game of Thrones, obviously, is now the the standard by what everyone's going by. And um, it's good to see it back as as a genre because it's something close to my heart. So um, I'm glad it's back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So with um, Warlock and the stories in the box set, obviously, they're all fantasy dramas. But the fighting fantasy series also incorporated loads of other genres as well, kind of dystopian sci-fi and action-adventure and things. Are you tempted to tackle those as you go along? Or are you going to start off with a fantasy and see how it goes?
2: The initial idea, and this is carried into the box set, is to set our dramas in a it's, mm. it's obviously a shared world where nearly all of them take place. Not all of them, but nearly all of them take place. It makes storytelling much easier. It means you can bring characters in and out. We can have story arcs. Um, obviously, there are a number of sci-fi, uh, one or two horrors, um, it is possible we could do one of those as a standalone. Um, there are one or two titles that we've talked about that we could do that with. Uh, at the moment, we don't have the license to do them, so right. I, I couldn't say that. But yes, in theory, we could do them as a standalone story. Um, I think at the moment we'd still be concentrating on setting our stories in Alantia because that's the world we want to build for the reasons I've said. So mm. it's possible. We, we could, you know, Starship Traveller and, and uh, House of Hell <laughs> uh, and those, you know, very warmly remembered early stories that are set outside... Um, of Alancia, it's a possibility, but we're not there yet. I don't think so. We'll see how we'll see how the Alancia stories go. So.
1: And equally, um, you haven't been tempted to add any kind of meta element because you mentioned earlier that uh, the characters in warlock um are aware that they're playing some sort of game so you can add the extra dimension that all of their lives are being controlled by some kind of godlike character yeah. who is rolling a dice it's, to decide whether they live or die it's
2: quite a nice little idea i, I think i don't think i'm spoiling anything by saying that, that that's not really in what we're doing at the moment but it's a <laughs> lovely idea to to you know sort of zoom out of what we're doing in the drama and realize that yeah, yeah they are characters in a game book but um uh, i mean as a, as a non writer and more of a director and producer <laughs> i, I don 't know how that would be achieved uh, and, and and make it look convincing but it 's a lovely idea
1: hmm. um as I mentioned, you also uh work on the sound uh, design of this That's right. and um, when you're doing fantasy dramas. It obviously then includes all sorts of things like the casting of spells, the thwack of arrows as they enter flesh. Um, do you have a basement somewhere where you create foley sound by hitting watermelons with mallets and so on?
2: Yeah, a little, I mean, a lot of the post-production, in fact, for the fighting Fancy, I, I will do at home. Even mm. though, you know, we're currently sitting in, in the studio that we've recorded this box set and Warlock in. And I will do some things here if it really needs to be isolated. But um, quite often, for not the big finish we do, someone's having a cup of tea. So yeah. you know, I can record it in my bedroom by putting it on a table. It's got an actual room ambience, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean with with foley, I, I try and do as much foleying as possible of sound design that's anything. bit tough with a fighting fantasy story. <laughs> um, you know, you, you know, arrows thracking. I can't do that in here or, or, or at home. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I, I will try and foley as much as possible. Uh, if it needs to be isolated, like I said, I'll, I'll do it here. Um, I do have a whole library, and probably all the sound designers for Big Finish do, of things they folied and, and hmm. there's a sort of repository that we can all go to as well for certain
1: things, and uh, <laughs> you know it builds up over time. When you've been down to the abattoir with a knife and a bow and yeah, arrow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I,
2: I accept in <laughs> science fiction and fantasy, there's just some things you have to either buy um, um, or you have to you have to source from somewhere other than new foleying them. You know, as I said, you know, I could probably fire a bow and arrow. I might kill someone. And I'm not very good at archery. I've done it once. So I'd much rather buy that one. But where possible, yes, we'll try and create them ourselves.
1: <laughs> so the first released... Um, Warlock of Firetop Mountain is a one-hour CD, which also includes um, extras. What kind of format does the box set take?
2: It's a similar box set. It's it's a full cd release, Uh, so a story on each one and then extras at the end. Um, Tried to evolve the extras a little bit. We do have um, cast interviews, so everyone who's in the cast has been interviewed. Like I said, we're going to have the original demo that we pitched to Ian and Steve um, on one of the CDs somewhere so people can hear what we did to try and win the license in the first place. Um, I'm going to do a little making of documentary there's going to be music suites we've got a lot more music on this one than, than, than for obviously for Warlock because he has got four times the stories and there's an interview with David so we, about his writing so there's we've tried to expand the extras as much as possible it's not mm-hmm. cost effective we did get asked it's not cost effective for us to have a CD of extras as much as we would love to yeah but it pushes our cost up even further and we felt that we'd rather spend that on production than on an extra CD so we will try and cram as much as we can. It will be similar format to Warlock, but hopefully there will be there'll be uh, a variety of extras there as well for people to get hopefully excited about.
1: Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, the, the whole idea of um, listening to dramas where you're getting into an immersive world and losing yourself into a place of fantasy and and magic and so on. It's interesting that I'm interviewing you right now in a little business centre in uh, High Barnet. And in an office in a business centre, there's a sound booth where you do a recording next to a mixing desk. I mean, it's really interesting that these kind of professional setups can just be squeezed Into any kind of space as long as you've got enough um, soundproofing material.
2: Yeah, and and there's there's enough plugins as well, uh, software plugins, in order to correct things, even if you do have bleed and everything. So, you know, it's becoming a much more um, accessible world. Uh, When we started doing that, I mean, we we moved here a couple of years ago. We had a bigger place down the road, um, and actually we've sort of downsized in a sense because we just don't need that much Mm. space we don't need to spend that much money Um, yeah it's very accessible and as I said I could do fairly in my bedroom sort of block it off a little bit and and, you know I I can correct if there are slight sound issues with it as well so um, just like music as well um, it has become a very accessible world far more than than the sort of million pound studio stuff that you had to go to Mm. sort of in the 60s and 70s so which is a good thing it's made it more egalitarian uh, and, uh, you know, it's helped, it helped us um, run a small studio and still do forecast audio dramas and audio books and things that, that we've needed a
1: relatively small setup to do. Nice. Okay. Thank you very John, much. Sure, no, thank you. Thank you very much. The fighting fantasy audio drama box set, featuring stories based on The Forest of Doom, The Citadel of Chaos, Death Trap Dungeon and Creature of Havoc, is available now to pre-order from fightingfantasyaudiodramas.com and features an excellent cast with such acclaimed character actors as David Warner, Charlie Higson, Tim Trello, Lisa Bowerman, Andrew Wincott, and many more. And productions that Richard Fox has worked on for Big Finish Productions, such as Doctor Who The Seven Keys to Doomsday, are available from bigfinish.com. Audio Dramatics was recorded, edited, and introduced by Alex Fitch, and is a Panel Borders production. And you can find all previous episodes of Audio Dramatics at www.panelborders.wordpress.com, featuring my interviews with the likes of Colin Baker, Katie Manning, Lisa Bowerman, Paul Mars, and many more. To play out, here's the opening scene of Fighting Fantasy, The Warlock of Firetop Mountain, The Hero's Quest, which is available on single CD from FightingFantasyAudioDramas.com, featuring Rachel Atkins as Vale Moonwing and Toby Longworth as Zagor. Thanks for listening.
0: Did you think I came unprepared? Your abomination is felled with but a single shot. This is no normal bow. It is the giver of sleep, which gives sleep to those that never can (laughs) but you have but a single silver arrow I will raise an army of such undead creatures if I must turn back elf while you still can I do not cower from evil I hunt it I am coming for you Zagor and I bring another weapon one more than capable of defeating your dark magic what is this? A jewel. Wait. I sense power. Light. It's burning! It's burning. This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.